welcome to Going Out Your Door, the podcast to get you out your door and on the road. As always, I am your host, Marjorie Frymouth, and I am so happy you are here. This is going to be a really fun episode that I am just so excited to talk about. Um, You guys know that I love talking anything travel related. Like, I can obviously go on way too long sometimes about the fine details of visas and passports and plane tickets and all of that. And like, don't get me wrong, I love some uh, fine print and details, but this is just a really fun topic that I think everyone loves. I hope everyone loves food, traveling and food. Um, Consider this a culinary adventure around the world. We're going to hit some highlights of my favorite food experiences or the ones that stand out to me. And also I'm going to share some um, ideas that I've picked up over my years traveling and how different countries or different cultures approach their food. And then finally some tips to help you get the most out of your culinary travel experience. And I think this is also a really cool topic because it's important for traveling, but also it's something that you can implement in your daily life because so much of international food and cultural food is available around the world. Um, I was thinking about it while I was putting this episode together, like all these things that I've been so lucky to try in different countries that I know, I'm sure, are available um, in most places as well now. You know, as people travel and they move and they live in other places, they bring their food, they open restaurants um, in, you know, different countries. And people just have so much more exposure now to food from around the world, which is is awesome. So a lot of the stuff that I might say like, oh, well, I tried this in, you know, Thailand, but like you might be able to get it down the street um, from where you live in whatever country, if it's the U.S. or somewhere else, it could totally be available to you. Um, And, you know, some things may not be as authentic when you're out of the country, but a lot of stuff really is because, you know, it is those people traveling from their home countries and and opening up those restaurants or those stands. Um, so what you could be getting in the U.S. could be just as authentic as what someone traveling to, you know, like I said, Thailand or... So what you could be getting in the U.S. could be just as authentic as someone traveling to Malaysia or Vietnam or, you know, wherever they are. Um, so I think that's really special about the world now. And I've definitely noticed that change. I'm actually curious what your perspective is on this as well. Um, I grew up in a very, very rural environment in Maine, which is not the most um, culturally or ethnically diverse state. And it, it definitely wasn't when I was growing up there as a kid. And I remember our a family friend told us about these this kind of food called pot stickers. You know, they're like these little dumpling ravioli things and you like you fry them in a pan so they're kind of crunchy and you can buy them at Sam's Club, which is like the big kind of like Costco box membership store um, of Maine. I don't know if anyone else has heard of it. I actually don't even know. They might exist around the country. I don't know. But Sam's Club. Um, 
and you could buy these pot stickers at Sam's Club. And we we got them, we tried them. It became like a fun treat that we had, you know, a couple times a month or something. And and that was like <laughs> that was the most culturally diverse food that I remember having. Um and I just remember this idea of like the pot sticker being this this special foreign food that we got to experience because of the wonder of Sam's Club. And looking back on that now, that's it's just absurd um, given the variety and the availability of food from around the world in, in most places. And sure, if you live in a big city, you're going to have much more access to, um, you know, different kinds of foods and easily available foods from different countries than you are if you live in rural Maine. And I don't want to make it sound like small towns are like backwards or, you know, don't have exposure to different countries and cultures. Like that's not true at all. Um, My family has a really strong connection to Japan. So we grew up just like always making Japanese food at home. And I thought that was that was my norm. (laughs) You know, that was like a regular thing. Um, And Certainly there were individual restaurants that were amazing in the area. Like there was a um, like Mexican fusion place in the nearby town to where I grew up. But that's kind of the point is like those places were very specific and very memorable. Whereas if you're growing up in a big city today, you probably have like 12 different cuisines right on your block. I always compare my experience growing up 20 years ago in small town Maine to my nephew who's growing up in a big city now um, and just the different experience, um, you know, like what he's exposed to and the different cultures and foods and all of that that he encounters on a regular basis and are totally normal compared to what I had access to or was easily available um, as a child. So I just want to make that comparison, like no shade to small town life whatsoever. I absolutely love it. But it is true that 20 years ago in a small town, the variety (laughs) of international options was not necessarily there. And I think it is more and more these days, um, again, especially in cities. And that is a wonderful thing. Like, I even remember when I was a teenager when pho was becoming common in the U.S. because no one knew how to pronounce it. We were all calling it pho. Um, And so I remember watching these sort of waves or these trends happen of like the new um, food from another country becoming popular first in the big cities because I remember it was my sister who lived in Denver who told me about it first. Um, And... I think now, like, of course, there's still there's still food that we don't know about. There's still countries that are um, lesser known or their food is lesser known in the States or in other places. Um, and those trends will probably keep happening. But I mean, in large part, probably thanks to the Internet, because we see these things and then we want to seek them out. And so there's more demand. Um And I think it's awesome. I think everyone should be eating everybody else's food. (laughs) Uh, We should all be trying all of it. But I am speaking today specifically about like the things that I've encountered while traveling. Um, But again, you can probably find them or very likely find them where you are. And I think that is awesome. So let this be a wanderlust inspiration, but let it also just be a culinary inspiration that you can try in your own city, hopefully. One thing that really struck me when I first started traveling and living abroad um, was sort of the attitude that different countries or people from different countries have towards their own traditional food. For example, um, 
when I lived in the Czech Republic, that was the first place that I moved after graduating from college. So I'd done my study abroad in Vienna. I traveled a little, a little bit, but the Czech Republic was the first place that like I lived as an adult, as an independent adult. And I remember being really surprised and asking some people about like Czech food and like what Czech food should I try? Um, and just getting the response that like, oh, well, no one actually eats Czech food anymore. Like only, um, you know, the older generations, the grandmas and grandpas will still eat it, but like no one really eats it anymore because it's just not healthy. <laughs> uh, which like, to be fair, there's a lot of like meats and dumplings and very rich delicious things. So I can see their point. Uh, But yeah, there was just this attitude of like, okay, well, that's our tradition. You know, you can still find it. You can seek it out if you want it. It's good every once in a while. But generally, you know, what was common in restaurants there was just Western food, you know, soups, salads, um, meat and veggie entrees and things like that. Uh, Just very common takes on, you know, what I would call like general Western or general American food um, was really what they had adopted into their everyday cuisine. So that was what I experienced my first time living abroad. And then after that, I moved to Taiwan and I sort of had that impression in the back of my head that like, okay, well, much of the world just eats sort of the same stuff now. (laughs) Traditional food is traditional. Um, And then I moved to Taiwan and it was a completely different world where the food that people eat every day is Taiwanese food. Um, And sure, you can find Western food. And this has definitely increased in recent years as I've been here. There's so much more availability um, of things like really good salads and paninis and like vegan options and things like that. That's really easy to find here and they're delicious. Um, But generally, what is, you know, widely available and I think normally eaten by the Taiwanese is Taiwanese food. Um, And so that was kind of a surprise to me that it this this traditional, this cultural food is still very much in the mainstream. And I think that's awesome. Um, I think that's really cool. But it's just an interesting comparison to see how different countries have um, retained their culinary traditions or you know, slightly discarded them in favor of new preferences. Um, and I don't have an opinion either way. I just, like I said, I, I, it's something that stood out to me and I do think it's interesting to note. So if you'll indulge me, we are going to walk through some of the highlights of the food that I've experienced while traveling. I mean, you could make an entire podcast out of food that people have experienced while traveling or, you know, me specifically, just the amazing dishes in every country that I've been to. Um, so we're, we're not going to do that because we would be here all day. Um, but what I did to think about this was actually open my travel map on TripAdvisor where I've pinned like every, you know, city I've ever been to um, and just think about what stood out to me from that place. So here are a few highlights and most of them are good, but some of them um are there for the shock value that they held for me at the time. I I could go on and on about Taiwanese food, so I'm going to try to limit it because there are so many things here that are incredible and iconic and also um, lesser known and just, you know, I've lived here for so long that I could talk a lot about this. So (laughs) we're just going to hit the highlights. And I've mentioned this disparagingly several times on the podcast, uh, Stinky Tofu. Um... It is one of the better known 
dishes in Taiwan just because it is so intense. Um, it is fermented tofu. And once you have that fermented tofu, it can be served many different ways, um, steamed or deep fried or barbecued or stewed. Um, there's so many different ways. And I had it deep fried, I believe, which, you know, you deep fry anything, it's going to be a little bit better. Um, I remember thinking that the taste was actually not as bad as the smell. Anyone who has been in Taiwan has undoubtedly smelled stinky tofu. Usually when you're in like a night market or, you know, a street that has lots of food on it, you'll just be walking along smelling all of these delicious like meats and frying smells and everything that is good about street food. And suddenly it will just hit your nostrils. You you can feel it. It's like a physical experience um, of just this. I mean, I, I feel bad saying this. I know people people really do love stinky tofu and it is a traditional t- dish in Taiwan. I, I love Taiwan. I love most Taiwanese food. But this is my experience of stinky tofu and other people that I've talked to and other people that have visited me here um, have had similar experiences. Um it's this garbage, garbage, garbage smell <laughs> that just gets lodged in the back of your nostrils, in the back of your throat, and you can't breathe. I physically can't breathe when I smell stinky tofu. And there is actually a stinky tofu stand uh, right near my apartment, so I smell it frequently when I'm walking home. It's actually, it's Michelin starred. Well, it's not Michelin starred. It has one of those Michelin ratings. Um which I don't know if that means that it smells better or worse, frankly, but that is definitely one of the foods that stands out to me in Taiwan, in addition to the multitude of delicious, amazing food here. I mean, I said I wasn't going to talk about Taiwanese food, but just to reassure you that I love most of it, I mean, think beef noodle, beef noodle soup, um, I mean, bubble tea, like bubble tea was invented here, like <laughs> enough said, Um just so many of like the just the casual dishes you get on the road like on the road on the you know stands by the road um just the meats and vegetables and it's it's just all unbelievably tasty um the gua bao which we will talk about uh later on in the episode because i made it one time um dumplings soup dumplings they're huge here it's amazing um so so much food is so good shaved ice and the mango and the fruit oh my gosh the fruit uh yeah so taiwanese food absolutely delicious But that is my experience of stinky tofu. If you like stinky tofu, more power to you. Go for it. Eat it all. Take it all. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would actually love to hear from you and and hear what it is about stinky tofu that you like so much. Because to me, it's just this visceral... I don't know, like I, I keep going back to garbage. That That is so harsh, but that is really the smell, like something rotting, something fermenting, because it is, it's fermented. Um, anyway, that is stinky tofu to me. To me personally, it might not be to you. Another Taiwanese dining experience that I want to mention is the re chao. Re, re chao. <laughs> My tones are so bad in Chinese. My Chinese is so bad. Um, but this is like this is a like a staple in Taiwan and 
they're usually, I mean, they're restaurants. They're, they're sit-down restaurants, but like very, 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 very casual, uh, street food casual. Um, they're usually very open air. Like it'll be just this big um, space with the whole front of the restaurant just open to the streets. Um, a lot of them spill out into the streets and there'll be these tiny little tables, little plastic stools, and you just order lots of dishes. It's a big sharing environment. So you order, um, you know, different kinds of fried or stewed veggies and meats and, you, you know, like maybe an entire fish or you can also get soups or curries or things like that. My favorite, one of my favorite, this is not particularly like traditional, I think, but I maybe it is because I've seen it at every place I've gone to. Um, it's deep fried shrimp. So think like popcorn shrimp, but a little bit bigger. And it's served on the, like a bit, I feel like I've had it in a shell before, like a big shell, usually on like a bed of shredded cabbage or lettuce, these deep fried shrimp. And then they drizzle mayonnaise over it. Mayonnaise is a very popular um, sauce here. It's usually like a lot of salads that you get if it's not like from a great salad place, if it's just, you know, salad and, and sandwich or something, they'll just have mayonnaise on it. Um, so mayonnaise drizzled over these shrimp with colorful sprinkles the kind of sprinkles you would get on ice cream sprinkled on these shrimp with mayonnaise and it's it's tasty it's delicious I mean again it's deep fried like nothing is bad deep fried um but that's one of my favorite things to get not because it's like particularly amazing culinary experience but just because it's so funny I I love ordering that um but yeah, you just order all of these little dishes. They're usually all amazing. Um, you share with everybody. There is a big communal pot of rice where you can just go up. Usually the rice is free and, you know, eat all you want. Um, just keep refilling your rice bowl. Usually you have beer as well. It's a, you know, beers for the table. And then you have these tiny little glasses. Um that's the the Taiwanese sort of attitude or tradition towards drinking in a group is that you get the drinks for the table and then um, you pour for each other into they're they're just slightly larger than shot glasses to be honest like they're very small um, so it really it paces you <laughs> um, but yeah it's just it's everyone sharing everything eating together it's really unhealthy but it's delicious and the whole environment is just a lot of fun so I love having those meals here in Taiwan as well okay Marjorie you said you were not going to talk about Taiwanese food stay on track here I'm having way too much fun with this episode um Bouncing over to Spain, my favorite meal when I was living in Spain was called bamboli, um, which I learned to recognize and know what it was, but I didn't realize till I asked the the family I was staying with. I was like, what does bamboli actually mean? Like when you say we're having that for dinner, I know that it means um, like bread and cheeses and meats and olives. It's just sort of that like charcuterie, um, but on a much, much higher level. I love it. Um, and he said, oh, it's actually pa amboli, which means bread and oil. Um, so when you're having pamboli, you're having bread and oil, but you're also having with, you know, olive oil, <laughs> bread, bread drizzled with olive oil, but it's also just anything else basically that's in the fridge. But because you're in Spain, it's really amazing things that just happen to be in the fridge. Uh, multiple different kinds of cheeses and sliced hams and meats. Um, 
maybe some sausage or something, you know, like cold sliced sausage. Um, so that was one of my favorite meals to have in Spain when I was living with the family there. Um, another thing that stands out to me about Spain was the chocolate, the the soup chocolate, I like to call it. Um, of course, it goes with churros. So churros and chocolate, absolutely amazing. But sometimes for dessert, they would serve these bowls of chocolate um, with something to dip in, often cut up pieces of cake <laughs> um, or like fruit sometimes, kind of like a fondue situation. But often it was just these like chunks of cake that you would then dip in chocolate and eat. And then you would just finish your bowl of chocolate with a spoon, which I can't even imagine a better life than that. Um, and another highlight of the food in Spain for me was the sobrasada. Uh, which is a sausage. It's a cured sausage. Um, So it's not cooked, but it's cured. It's like bright orange and it's really soft. So it's like spreadable. You would spread it on bread. So tasty, so good. Um, And actually, I got to see them make it one time. So this is going to be a full episode on like holidays and festivals in other countries. But I was in Spain for their holiday Matanza, which is a fall autumn pig slaughter uh, which they do in a very traditional way so I got to see that which was really incredible Um, and then then I got to see the making of the soprasada you can't eat it at the time because it needs to cure there were other sausages that they made that day that we got to eat uh, because you cook them Um, but the soprasada was amazing it was a highlight it was another part of the pampoli or pamboli pamboli um we would have it when we had pamboli as well but also just as a snack sometimes really really tasty moving over to ireland i was trying to figure out if there was any irish food that stood out to me uh guinness does that count as a food probably (laughs) no i'm kidding um I think the the main thing in Ireland that I really enjoyed having was the Irish breakfast. I would have it for lunch because it's so filling. Love the Irish breakfast. Love the English breakfast. They're similar, but they're not the same. Uh, there's nothing like that. Just, you know, sausages, eggs, bread, like just the best bread you can imagine. Um tomatoes, beans, like whatever else you wanted to include. Irish breakfast. Oh, fantastic. Um Okay, this one is a bit specific. Again, I I was brainstorming all of this while looking at my travel map. Um, Estonia. (laughs) What stands out to me about Estonia? And this is actually a specific restaurant. I'm going to talk to you about uh, how to like choose your food or tips for choosing your food when you're traveling. One of them is to avoid um, tourist spots. This probably breaks that rule. I think this is a big tourist spot because it's right in the middle of Tallinn, um, the capital city of Estonia. And it's just like kitschy enough that it's probably aimed at tourists, but it doesn't feel like it. That was the best thing. It genuinely feels like a hole in the wall um, restaurant. So it's right in the middle of town. It's this tiny little plate like hole in the wall really it's like dark inside you know it's all stone walls it's Estonia um I feel like the people working there might have been dressed in traditional costumes which does lead to the or traditional attire um which does lead to the tourist uh factor as well but it the whole thing just feels really authentic um it's called Il Dracon I'm probably not saying that right I-L-L-D-R-A-A-K-O-N Um, and they serve bowls of elk soup and a selection of meat pastries. 
Uh, when I was there, they also had a barrel of pickles. And I think the pickles were free, but you had to stab them. <laughs> like to get them out of the barrel, you had to use this big spear, this stick with a pointy end and stab the pickles out of the barrel to get them. Um, they also serve wine and beer and everything was between like one to three euros for each thing. So it was incredibly reasonable. So that's actually like the opposite of a tourist trap restaurant is usually they're really expensive. This was like the, the least expensive thing that I found on my whole trip. Um, So really, really affordable, really tasty, fantastic environment. And even if it is a tourist trap, you don't feel like it is. Um, So that that definitely stood out to me from my um, Estonia trip. And so I have spent lots of time in Vienna because I studied abroad there and I've visited many times since then. And of course, there's the amazing, you know, there's schnitzel, there's um, spätzel, there's all this fantastic food there and beer, of course, and wine. Uh, But what really stands out to me about Vienna is it exemplifies finding food or finding um, cultural country-specific food that you didn't expect. So the highlight for me in Vienna was really Turkish food. Uh, Because there's a huge Turkish population in Vienna. So that was the first time that I'd ever experienced Turkish food. Um, There were a couple of, again, really small restaurants that I would go to over and over again because the food was just amazing. So when you're traveling, like, of course, you want to try the food of the, you know, the traditional food of the place that you're going. Absolutely. But don't be surprised if you find other authentic traditional food from other countries as well and you know go for that also because it's just as tasty it's different it's just as authentic um so be open to that and seek out those neighborhoods and those experiences as well uh which brings me to turkish food um i have done some traveling in turkey and what i remember i I remember all of the turkish food being amazing but the one thing that stands out to me was the breakfasts. Turkish breakfasts. I could eat them every day. I could eat them for every meal every day. Um, it was always like really fresh, delicious bread, uh, a fresh fresh cheese, kind of like um, feta cheese or something similar, um, tomatoes, cucumbers, all drizzled with olive oil, usually like some fruit as well. And it was just, it's all really simple. That's the thing. I'm telling you like tomatoes, cucumbers, cheese, bread. But it was just so tasty, kind of like the pamboli, um, just having like bread and cheese. I could survive on bread and cheese probably. <laughs> um, so that was a really, really amazing breakfast every single day. Um, also, they have these circular kind of like bagels, but much wider. The hole is much bigger. It's like a big circle of bread called simit. Um, those were really good. You could buy those on the street. And we did sometimes if we missed the the breakfast at the hostel or the place we were staying, go get a simit on the street. And also, also, um, I feel like I'm, I'm salivating right now. I'm having trouble talking. Uh, Turkish ice cream. And this is something that I know has spread to other countries in recent years. So you, you might have tried this. You might have had a chance to experience this. Turkish ice cream is delicious. Um, it's also kind of chewy. It has this weird, like, I don't know, chewy quality to it. That's the best way to describe it. And then also 
getting an ice cream is a whole process, which if you've had Turkish Turkish ice cream, you know this. Um, they don't just like put it into a cone and give it to you. They they play with you and they trick you and they try to give it to you and then pull it away and you feel like really embarrassed, but you play along and it's a whole process also. So Turkish ice cream, highly recommend. Um, again, all the food that I had in Thailand and Vietnam and Korea was just absolutely so incredible. Um, I love, I love food from those places. So just highly recommend in general. Um, what stood out to me in Hong Kong, though, were the dried egg yolks. And I actually didn't try these, so I can't speak about the taste at all. But just in terms of like seeing something that looks interesting, I was visiting the small fishing town of Taiho, 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 and I remember just walking down. It's a really small town. It's um, sort of known for being the uh, having the houses on stilts. All of the houses and buildings are on these stilts in the water, so it's really cool to see. Um, but I was walking down one of the streets, and I just saw a large platter of egg yolks drying in the sun. Um, and and all of this, like I'll try to find all of these pictures if I have them. I definitely have pictures of the egg yolks, but everything else as well will be on Instagram. Uh, going out your door on Instagram. Anyway, so I didn't try these egg yolks. Don't know what they taste like, but they are dried and salted and it is quintessential. Um, I'm guessing you can find them in Hong Kong, but also specifically for Taiho as well. So... There, I'm there. I'm sure there's so many more. I'm gonna finish this episode and be like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot that. I didn't talk about that. Um, really, really could dedicate not only multiple episodes but an entire podcast to foods that you eat traveling in other places. But I'm gonna try to move on. Gonna try to rein myself in. I've been working on that, guys. I hope you appreciate it. So here are a few tips that I have put together from my own experience to help you get the most of your culinary adventures in whatever country you're going to. Um, I should also say that this is from a person who doesn't have any food restrictions. So I can say like, oh, well, you know, eat something even if you don't know what it is. Yeah, because the, because I'm not allergic to anything and I don't have any dietary restrictions. So that works for me. Um if you are traveling as someone with allergies or dietary restrictions, that is a whole separate conversation that I do plan to have at some point on this podcast. I definitely want to have someone on the podcast who can speak to that and offer suggestions for that experience as well. Um, so I definitely like I'm, I'm sympathetic of that. I'm specifically focusing not on that situation right now. Um, so <laughs> having said that, number one, don't be afraid to order something without knowing what it is. Um, yeah, as much as you can, uh, be adventurous. I mean, if you're not allergic to anything, then these things are probably not going to hurt you. Um, food poisoning is a whole other story, but <laughs> uh, just because you don't know what something is doesn't mean it won't be absolutely delicious. And even now in Taiwan, a lot of what I eat, like when I eat sort of the local lunch boxes and bento boxes and things where they just put um, different veggies and side dishes and meats together for you with rice, I don't know what most of the vegetables are. 
frankly. Um, even in the grocery store, there are lots that I still don't know what they are because the variety of things is different here. And so there's a lot of just like leafy greens, kind of like kale situations. Um, I think a lot of them are like sweet potato leaves is common, but there's just stuff that I know that's a vegetable. I know it's a green vegetable. I don't know what it is. It's good. Um, and also like a lot of their soy-based products, a lot of things are like, or gluten-based, they do just some straight up gluten, <laughs> which you might want to watch out for if you're gluten-free. Um, yeah, a lot of those kind of like tofu, soy, gluten uh, creations, I don't really know what they are. Um, they're usually kind of squishy. They're usually cooked in a sauce that makes them taste good. So, I mean, again, if you can, uh eat things. Eat everything you can. Even if you don't know what it is, it could end up being very delicious. And on that note, uh, if you don't know what things are or what to order or you don't see a menu, or even if you do, let someone else pick for you. Let the person um, who owns the stand or the restaurant or your, you know, your server, your waiter, let them choose for you because often they know the best things. Um, And it, it usually makes them feel good, I think. I think usually, in my experience, they're a little bit hesitant at first because they're like, oh my gosh, like a lot of pressure now and what if this this foreigner doesn't like what I give them and uh, now it's just a hassle. But I always try to, you know, reassure them. I'm like, I eat everything. It doesn't matter. Like, just, just give me whatever's best. Give me what you want. Um, and it usually works out really, really well. That's what I did when I was in Hong Kong. I was at one of the hawker centers, the Indian food. There was this Indian food stall that looked really good. Um, And I was just sort of, at that point, I wasn't even asking him. I just kind of was looking at everything to see what I wanted. And he was like, you like you like curry? And I was like, yes. And he was like, you like bread? And I was like, yes. And he just he put together this really simple meal for me that was phenomenal. It was delicious. Um, I had the same experience when I was in Santiago de Compostela in Spain. Uh, there was sort of an indoor market there. And I had high school level Spanish, so I can communicate a little bit. But, you know, things are it's, it's a big struggle still. Um And I don't remember why. I think I couldn't tell. I couldn't see like any specific menu. It was it was this place looked like it had really good food, but I couldn't see a menu. And so I just sort of told the man behind the counter, like, I'm hungry. I need food. Give me anything. (laughs) And he was one who was hesitant at first. He was like, oh, well, like, what do you like? What do you want? I was like, no, no, just just give me everything. And he made me this sandwich. (laughs) I know a sandwich sounds really simple, but it was incredible. It was on this really crusty, nice roll with all these veggies and then this pork. And then there was a glass of wine and it was it was great. So, you know, they're the expert, not you. So so let them choose for you. And it usually works out very well. Um, And like I said, once they get over that hesitation, they usually have fun choosing or putting together a meal for you also. Um, Similarly, when in doubt, point point to something that looks good. Don't be afraid to point. I mean, you know, pointing can be cultural as well. So try to do it in a a respectful way. Maybe gesture, gesture towards what you want. Um, Do it with a smile on your face. But yeah, if something looks good, gesture to that. Um, We're really all about, communication is all about getting the point across. So so now things get a little bit more specific. Um, Get off the main tourist streets. I mean, I've done it. I've been there. I've eaten at the the tourist restaurants before. We all do it. Of course, it's easier. It's more convenient. It's also a heck of a lot more expensive usually. Um, 
But if you can, if you can explore other areas, get off those big streets. It'll be probably more affordable, probably more authentic, and you're probably going to find more variety or more like real, like I said, authentic <laughs> um, local food. And I think this is especially true in Europe just because Europe has such a history, Western Europe probably specifically, has such a history of catering towards tourists that most of those big streets are just so expensive and all serving exactly the same thing. I mean, I'm just thinking like, for example, Barcelona, you could bet that every single restaurant on La Rambla, that big uh, street, I'm La Rambla, I feel like I really rolled my R's on that one. I don't know if I was supposed to. Um, that famous big street running down the middle of Barcelona, you can, every single restaurant there is going to be advertising sangria and tapas and paella and exactly the same thing. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to be tasty there. I mean, like I said, I've, I've definitely gone for that before. Um, but You'll find different things in smaller places. You might have more of a chance to connect with like a local store owner or restaurant owner. Um, You're probably just going to have like a more intimate, authentic experience. So if you can get off those tourist streets, do some exploring, see something that really looks good. That's also going to be where you'll find those um, those owners or those chefs who are excited to uh, pick your food for you. So that sort of connects back to that other point as well. You know, if you sit down in like a, a big restaurant in a tourist street, they're, they're probably, well, number one, the menu is going to be all in English as well. So you're not going to have any trouble figuring out what to order, but they're also going to be probably, probably generalizing here, um, a little less flexible with just bringing you something random. Um, and my last tip, which is something that I only have done once and very recently, but I loved it, is take a cooking class. If you can, when you're in a new place, find a course for some, you know, traditional food from that place and take a cooking class. Um, I only just recently did it in Taiwan. I was pushing myself to do 30 new things before I turned 30. <laughs> um, and one of those was take a cooking class. So I learned how to make uh, gua bao, which is the pork belly bun. So we made everything. We made the buns. We braised the pork. We, you know, made all the sauces and, and the... Um, well, make the cilantro. Cilantro goes in it too. But uh, we did everything from scratch and we made pork rice and we made bubble tea. We actually made the tapioca pearls in the bubble tea by hand. Um, And it was so delicious, not to toot my own horn because I made it, no. Uh, But it was really, really tasty and just fun, straight up fun and gave me a better insight into how these Taiwanese foods that I have all the time are actually made. So it gives you more of an insight into um, the country and the culture and the ingredients and why they use these different ingredients. Um, So really, highly recommend cooking classes. Okay. I let myself ramble on so much more than I meant to, (laughs) Um, but really food is one of my favorite things about traveling, one of my favorite things to talk about. So I hope these tips are useful to you. I hope some of the highlights from my time traveling are inspiring to you. Like I said, maybe you can seek them out in your own city um, or hit the road, find a new place, see what their food is like, and tell me all about it. You can send any questions or any stories of your own to goingoutyourdoortravel at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram and Facebook at goingoutyourdoor and on Twitter at goingoutyour. 
As always, I cannot wait to share stories with you next time on Going Out Your Door. Mm-hmm.